Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Do you believe this? Did God really say? Mm-hmm. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? What do you believe about God and what do you believe about Jesus? What you believe about God actually then does form and inform, transform everything else. Everything else that you believe. Like there's a beliefs matter. Ideas matter. And your beliefs actually do matter. So um, Jesus asks the question this morning, do you believe this? Well, what is the this to which he is referring? Your growing your faith verse of the day comes from John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus is the one who's asking here, do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Jesus actually made a lot of claims um, about who he is that we could ask of each one of these statements. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go, go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the gate or the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He then goes on to say, you know, there's, there's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know my father. Um, I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Friend, this morning, do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing. Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Though they die, yet shall they live. Do you believe this? There's a worship song by um, Hillsong Worship that I commend to you on this point. It's called This I Believe. It's also called The Creed. The chorus says... I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in the name of Jesus. Do you? Do you believe this? 
What we believe determines how we live. What we believe about God influences everything else. So what do you believe this morning? God said to a grieving woman, and he says to you and I today, in the midst of all kinds of grief, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? How you answer that question influences everything else. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So it's Monday morning. Did you make some sermon notes yesterday? What, um, what did you jot down during yesterday's sermon? Well, first of all, were you in attendance yesterday? Um, did you give um, God his glory? Did you go and you worship? Did you go and worship with some of God's people somewhere? Did you open the word of God with others and hopefully sit under some very good teaching? I did. And um, I made some sermon notes yesterday. In fact, I am now advocating that there be more than one blank panel for me uh, to make sermon notes. <clears throat> Note to whoever's listening from Grace this morning. Um, so one of the elders of our church preached yesterday. Our pastor has been um, you know, on a study break during the month of July, and so our elders have been preaching. And one of the elders at my church, his name is Michael Kelly. He's actually been a guest here on the show because he's also, also um, an author and just writes great stuff related to family ministry. And um, so I just, I adore him. Um, I don't mind telling you that. Uh, Absolutely adore him. I love what he writes. And yesterday was such a privilege to, uh, to sit under his preaching. And I made pages of notes from the sermon. And I thought, you know what? Maybe we should just share sermon notes with each other from time to time. So when you get in the car and your teenagers say, that was solid, <laughs> got to tell you, the, uh, the, the preacher did well. Now, I'm not, you know, not totally judging a sermon based on the reaction of teenagers. But uh, when teenagers say a sermon was solid, there was a connecting point that wasn't just for, uh, you know, maybe the likes of people like me. Um, it was for everybody. And so I wanted to share some of my notes with you today from yesterday's sermon. So we have been um, studying our way through First and Second Peter, and yesterday we arrived at the very end of Second Peter, and so we were reading the walk-off verses. It was the close of Peter's, not just one letter, but the, the close of his letters. It's really giving his very final instructions here to Christians as, um, as they wait for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for the second coming, for the final coming, for the coming in judgment. And so what Michael Kelly did yesterday was talk about this day and that day. And for those of you who um, are students of the Reformation and you recognize the name Martin Luther, one of the things that Luther is famous for pointing out is that there really are only two days, really only two days, this day and that day, this day and that day. And this day is obviously this day. So marking the calendar uh, the 31st of July, 2023. That day is the day when uh, he will come again to judge the living and the dead, the second advent, the second coming of Christ, the consummation of all things. Like that day 
is coming. Do you believe this? Do, do you believe that? If you, say, if you use the Apostles' Creed as a statement of your belief, then you know you get to the point where you say, you know, I believe he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe that day is coming? And if you believe that day is coming and that it holds all the things that Scripture promises that it holds, if it's going to unfold the way Scripture promises it's going to unfold, um, if it will be the way that it is told in the Bible, then you have great hope, you have great consolation, um, you have an incredible peace that's unassailable. You also have a tremendous sense of motivation to share the good news of the gospel with other people today, this day to live this day in light of that day. I mean, that was Martin Luther's point. Um, Time is this most precious and scarce resource, and how we spend it matters and who we spend it with matters and what we say um, and do on this day matters. This day is influenced heavily by that day. So how are you going to bring that day and the things of that day, the realities of the kingdom of heaven, the realities of total justice and peace and restoration, how are you going to bring that day to bear on this day? Scripture affirms that the day is coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today is not yet that day. But this day, you and I, can reflect him, point to him, demonstrate his um, lordship, the kingdom principles that we know from him. We can live as provisional demonstrations of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. We can be points of light. We can shine like stars in the particular darkness of our present moment. We can live this day in light of that day. We can live this day as people who point other people to that day. So, this day and that day. Do you believe that there is actually going to be a that day? That day is coming. You can trust Jesus when he tells you he's coming again to receive unto himself his own. And yes, to sit in judgment. So, make choices today that reflect what you believe about that day. Live this day in light of that day. What makes your list today of what really matters? Like, matters of life and death. Ask yourself that for just a moment. What are your matters of life and death It's not whether you get invited to a particular event or a party or whatever or into a particular college or whether or not you land a particular job or get married or even have kids of your own. Are any of those really matters of life and death to you? What makes your life and death list today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? 
Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. So sometimes when we're sitting uh, together, there's literally breaking news that I say to myself, all right, I'm going to set aside what I was going to talk about, and I'm going to share this with you. So I'm reading this fresh from the Associated Press, literally as it happens. Saudi Arabia has announced it's going to host a Ukrainian-organized peace summit in early August. Um, They are hoping to find a way to start negotiations that would bring Russia's war on Ukraine to an end. Uh, The summit will be held in the Red Sea port of Jeddah. Interesting. Um, All of this coming from uh, a a Saudi official who, of course, spoke on the condition of anonymity because no one has authorized anybody publicly discussing the summit. Um, Russia was um, was not uh, invited to, I guess, the meeting where the peace summit was planned and organized. So. uh, here's a quote here. The Ukrainian peace formula, formula contains 10 fundamental points, the implementation of which will not only ensure peace for Ukraine, but also create mechanisms to counter future conflicts in the world. We're deeply convinced that the Ukrainian peace plan should be taken as a basis because the war um, uh, is uh, is taking uh, the, because there is real real war and real people dying in real time. So um, for those of you wondering um, what what the latest news is um, on Ukraine and the Ukraine and the war that Russia is <clears throat> uh, carrying out against the people of Ukraine. Um, horrific strikes uh, overnight, deadly airstrikes on the central Ukrainian city of Kriya Rai. Um, rescuers working to dig right now um, through apartment complexes. Um, struck by drones that came uh, from inside of Russia. So, uh, you know, there's a, there is a Ukrainian counteroffensive underway. We certainly pray for peace, um, but there is not yet peace. But a peace summit um, hosted by Saudi Arabia is an interesting development. And so let's be, let's be praying that, um, that it would, peace would come because, it's been a much longer war than anyone ever imagined, and the people there are suffering. I, I, we just talked the other day about, you know, the decision that every 17-year-old boy uh, in Ukraine is making right now. And that's a, you know, that's a decision. Do I leave the only country I've ever known, my homeland, as a 17-year-old? Do I leave and go try to live somewhere else? Uh, because if I stay beyond my 18th birthday, um, I'm going to be conscripted into this war. Every, you just think about all the 17-year-old boys you know and the decisions they're making today and, uh, and the boys in Ukraine making this decision. So um, here was another quote that caught my attention, and this is what I had planned to share with you this morning. 
Um, here was the quote. It's a ticking time bomb, a matter of life and death, which led me to the question that I asked you just before um, uh, our very, very brief break. Uh, you know, what's a matter of life and death? Like, really, when you say that, what is a matter of life and death? Well, this particular quote came from a person privy to information um, about something that the U.S. military is now very actively engaged in. So um, this is a bit of news that should surprise no one. So I'm not sharing this to scare you to death. However, um, a person privy to information about this is the one who said it's a ticking time bomb, a matter of life and death, which, you know, might be a slightly fear provoking. So anybody who's been paying attention is probably not going to be surprised by a headline Um, or even the news, and here it goes. So the New York Times is reporting this out, that according to, and their sources include American military personnel, people in the intelligence services, and national security officials. So when you see in the New York Times a list like that, that means that they have verified this storyline from multiple sources. So they're not disclosing those sources because obviously nobody's allowed to talk about this. And what is the this that nobody's allowed to talk about? Well, the U.S. government is currently hunting on... Computers, military computers in the United States, like U.S. military computers. They're hunting for malicious code that they believe China has hidden deep inside their computer networks. And these computer networks control American power grids, communication systems and water supplies. Again, none of this is a surprise to anybody who's been paying attention Um, But these particular power grids, communication systems and water supplies uh, feed military bases in the United States and around the world. And so um, the concern is that this malicious, this malware that is embedded in our computers, our U.S., not like yours and mine, but maybe yours and mine, um, is going to give China the power to interrupt or slow American military deployments or resupply operations because they'd be able to cut off power, water, communications to U.S. military bases. Now, for those of you who live in communities where there are U.S. military bases, you also know that the same infrastructure that supplies the bases supplies your homes, your businesses, your schools, your churches, your hospitals, emergency services, I mean, on and on and on. So it's... It's important. This is a big story, but it's also one of those stories where we say to ourselves, um, we we knew in theory that this could happen. We have been um, encouraged by many, many people to harden our computer networks against such things. Um, I mean, I, you know, as an employee, I go through regular training about, you know, not clicking on things that I don't know the source of them or, you know, you guys randomly send me stuff all the time. If it's a link, I don't click on it. I'm just letting you know right now because, yeah, I can't do that. All right. I can't I can't risk clicking on something that I don't actually know the source of. Um, And so, uh, you know, um, why bring all of this up? Well, because I live in the real world and so do you. And now in the real world, there are real threats that come in bits and bytes or I don't even know if they call it that, uh, ones and zeros. And so the digital threat is real. And the digital threat is a real threat to real things like power and water and communication access and access to fuel. I mean, how do you how do you fuel up your car? Yeah, 
I I uh, I use a pump that is um, connected to a system. I stick a credit card in or a debit card in, and you know my mysterious electronic money pays for that thing to turn on, and then I put that gas in my tank and my car runs. My car also has a chip in it. Um, so does yours. And so I, I, I say all of this again, not I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm recognizing that we live in a world full of threats. And in the in today's threat assessment, um, the U.S. military intelligence services and national security officials today, today, they're concerned about this, um, the cyber threat uh, to our military bases and infrastructure. And so let's be lifting this up in prayer today that those who are hunting for the malware would find it. That's going to be my prayer today, that those who are hunting for the malware would find it, that they would be able to correct what is broken, that they would be able to um, bring restoration. Um, so diffuse the bomb, so to speak, because in, in, this, in this particular circumstance, it, it really is a matter of life and death. So let's be praying today for the members of our U.S. military and those who are in cybersecurity. Um, feel like, you know, we pray around the globe all the time um, for situations where there is no peace. And sometimes it's important, I think, to remember, hey, we got to circle those prayers around um, our own as well. And so let me encourage you today to, uh, to, be, to be praying on this particular cyber front. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thank you for sharing with me on the text line what your uh, what your pastor was preaching yesterday in your sermon notes. I appreciate that. You can share yours as well. Text me at 877-933-2484. Still, still praying uh, today for those of you who share your prayer requests with us as well. Thinking here of uh, of Bob right now, continuing to heal from some uh, some surgery that he has had, and uh, and for his sweet wife as well who. Um, who broke her arm. We've been praying for them over the course of the last uh, several days. And so uh, renew those prayers this morning. What are your prayer concerns? How can we be praying for you? You can always share those with me at MyFaithRadio.com. There's a way to share your prayer requests, um, or you can share them on the text line if you're comfortable doing so. 877-933-2484. So um, there's there's, there's text, right? There's like actually the words on the page or the words in the message. Um, there's what we actually say. And then there's subtext, that reading between the lines part of what we do. And sometimes it's really hard to read the subtext. Um, I confess to you that people use words now that I don't necessarily, I'm not certain that I know the meaning of. And I'm very certain I don't always know the meaning of the word that a person is using in a way that might be different than the way that I understand the word. So I ask for a lot of clarification in conversations, but you can't do that when you're listening to a talking head or a commentator or, or a journalist um, or sometimes even a preacher. And so there's text out there. There's what's being said. And then there's subtext. And the subtext is what's being communicated it may not be what is said in the words, but it is what is being communicated. And sometimes that is by, you know, tone of voice or, you know, raised eyebrows. And so if you can't see me, then sometimes it's hard to read the subtext of what I'm saying. We're going to 
Um, We're going to talk with Daniel Bennett next about the challenge that we face between the text and the subtext in our cultural conversations today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Daniel Bennett is joining us now. You can find him at John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Good morning, Daniel. Morning, Carmen. Let those who have ears hear. I'm thinking of the prophet Jeremiah. Um, to whom to whom shall I speak and give warning? Who will hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They can't listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an ob- object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. I'm thinking of all the places and times when Jesus uh, teaches something and then says, let those who have ears hear. I'm thinking of all the places in the book of Revelation where it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm um, thinking about the itchy ears that uh, that Paul mm. talks about. Um, there's text, there's what's said, and then there is what is heard or what is, so what is heard, sometimes not what is said, and then sometimes what is communicated that is also not what is said. Can we just talk about the text and the subtext in the conversations we're having today as a culture? Yeah, I think this is a really important uh, thing to discuss, particularly as we get closer to election season and we start to read about certain things or you know, hear about certain things on on uh, social media or television. Uh, you know, we're psychologically predisposed as, as human beings to search for information that confirm or otherwise support our pre-existing beliefs. Um, we don't like to be routinely challenged or blasted with news or information that uh, undermines or undercuts what we think to be true. And so, again, I'm not a psychologist or a psychology professor, but as a political scientist and someone who's just increasingly fascinated by political psychology, uh, there is this notion that when interpreting the world around us, we're constantly, even if we're not aware of it, reading information through the lens of our political ideology or partisanship. And so this is where subtext becomes important, because even if we are you know, looking at objective information or news that is factually true, I think we're predisposed to look for a meaning or interpretation that is consistent with what we believe or what we want to be true. And I think this is especially important for Christians not to eliminate this entirely, because I do think this is, a, you know, a consequence of the fall in some respects, that we're, that we're always constantly battling against the truth. But to at least be aware of it, right, as we try to check our own biases uh, in the world around us. So true, um, even when we are, and maybe most especially when we are reading the scriptures and mm. we come across a verse um, or a teaching that we have already formed a theology against. <laughs> like, right, we've already <laughs> formed a theology that says, um, let's let's say we formed a theology related to eternal security. Then when we come across a verse where it certainly sounds like one could lose their faith, um, one could lose their footing in the faith, um, faith could be lost. Um, those who once counted us faithful could find themselves lost. We we re- like we can't even see it, let alone hear it. We certainly can't receive it. We we won't we we won't allow ourselves to. Um, read the plain word of scripture because we already have a theology that is developed against it. That's what you're saying 
we do in the political world and in the cultural yeah. world, um, but we also do it in our in our own study of scripture. Yeah, and I think this is this is true when we try to apply verses from the Bible to our current political context. Mm. Um, mm. I'll give a plug to a mutual. Uh, acquaintance, or I'm, I don't know if you've had her on the program before, but Caitlin Shass, she has a new book coming out, The Ballad in the Bible, where she tries to uh, explain how the Bible has been used, you know, for good and for, you know, not so good in American political discourse. But, you know, the, the, the one verse that came to mind immediately to me, and I had to look it up to make sure I was getting the citation right from Second Thessalonians 3, um, this is often used as a reason to oppose say certain social welfare programs uh the latter part of the verse is uh paul saying if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat okay mm-hmm. and i think it's yeah you know, I, I think it's kind of fashionable for some folks to point to that and say well this is why the government shouldn't uh shouldn't provide or uh invest in welfare um especially welfare without work requirements uh, I'm not a I'm not a scholar of Thessalonians or you know certainly the, even the Pauline epistles. Um, I'm guessing Paul wasn't writing that letter to address domestic policy in the United States of America in 2023. Um, and Christians from across the political spectrum do this, and I'm I'm sure that I do this too, where we look for verses that confirm what we want to be true about politics and then apply them selectively, or we conveniently ignore other verses that don't. <laughs> confirm what we want to be true. Um, So I'd recommend Caitlin Chess's book to you and your listeners in that respect. Um, But this is insidious, right? Uh, As Christians, we're we're called to be better than that, than to selectively read the Bible to fit our own ideas about what politics ought to be. We're talking um, with Daniel Bennett. We're talking about the text and the subtext. If you want to, you know, jump into the conversation, you've got something to say about this. You can Use the text line to do so, 877-933-2484. I think that the risk in our our conversations with one another, so maybe taking it from the journalistic and political level down down to the common parlance of, you know, two people sitting uh, in a shared space having a conversation. We say things and we think or we assume that the other person um, shares our views without actually establishing that that is true. I mean, we we imagine Mm. that the people sitting next to us in a pew um, think the way we think, vote the way we vote, live the way we live. And that's, we actually know that that's not true. Mm. I mean, we actually know, we we know like from sociological studies that like, that's not necessarily true. I'm sure there's people in your congregation, your listeners' congregations, you know, on Sunday mornings you have pleasant exchanges with and not to say that, you know, they're closest friends or confidants, but, you know, if you knew the politics or the cultural views of these people, and, and maybe this came across on social media, you might not be so willing to have those conversations. Um, and so I think it's a good reminder that there is a great diversity in the body of Christ. Uh, that we ought not to assume that the people in our midst share our, you know, maybe there's, hopefully there's a sharing of some of the deeply rooted things about our world, right? If we're Christians, Mm -hmm. hopefully we can agree on the fundamentals and the essentials. 
But then when it comes to maybe the non-essentials or even, you know, what a non-essential is, there's probably going to be disagreement within the congregation. And goodness, I teach at a Christian university. We are intentionally interdenominational. We have faculty and staff from across the generally evangelical Protestant spectrum. And I see this with our students all the time, right? Our students grow up in certain communities and church backgrounds. And then when they get to John Brown University, they're confronted with a community that hopefully shares foundations. But when it comes to the non-essentials, there's a lot of discomfort. Like, well, that's not how I did Christianity growing up. And so this is a process that I think all Christians are going to have to go through throughout their lives is how do we maintain unity in the body while understanding that there is diversity at the same time? That's so good. Um, the, the unity and diversity conversation is another one that I think is not had often enough. Mm. Um, and, 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 and part of that, um, at least from my own historical background, right? We all operate out of the experiences that we've had along the way. And there were, mm -hmm. there were times in the past when the whole unity and diversity conversation was used as a bludgeon to mm. advance uh, liberal and progressive ideas in, the, in, in yeah. one particular church context that I was engaged in. And now I'm far enough away from that experience. Um, you know, I feel like I've, I've, I've been living in a healthy um, community of believers now long enough that I, I, I no longer, like my ire no longer is imme immediately raised. My defenses don't come immediately up when somebody says unity and diversity. But I right. do know what some people mean by that, and they don't mean by it. Um, you know, God is three in one. And God could have created just one kind of tree with one kind of leaf and one shade of green. Um, but, you know, because God is who he is and creates how he creates, there is this magnificent diversity, even though a tree is yet a tree. Like, right, there's the unity right. and diversity conversation can be had in creation. It can be had in relationship to the Trinity. It can be had in relationship to the, um, you know, those of us who are individually members of one body of Christ. It, mm. it does not mean what some people force it to mean because they want it to mean something it doesn't mean. That's another like yes. text subtext conversation we could have. Well, especially when you hear a term like diversity, um, if we're talking about diversity of the church, you know, American Christianity in the 21st century is such a small sliver of what the church has been historically or even contemporaneously. If we look at the global church and the differences in how our brothers and sisters in the church across the world um, worship uh, theologize, et cetera. But you're right. When we hear a term like diversity now, particularly in more secular spaces, it means something very, very different. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that and say, well, you know, we under and, and be confident in saying, well, we believe in diversity as well, but in, in a different way and hopefully have some productive conversations with folks outside our communities. Yeah, that's a good, um, uh, a good reminder in terms of conversations related to race, um, yes. probably in, yeah, in, in all kinds of other conversations that we have about diversity in the culture today. Yeah, that's so helpful. All right. We're going to um, continue our conversation here with Daniel Bennett in just a moment. Um, are you reading into things? Are you actually reading what it says or are you reading into what it says? Are you listening in conversations with other people? Are you asking clarifying questions are you just making assumptions and leaping to conclusions? We we really want to be people, particularly 
I mean, I don't want to say just today in the current cl- political climate, but particularly today in the current especially today. climate, <laughs> especially today, because uh, this is the day, as we have said, and we want to live this day in light of that day. And so um, we're going to we're going to talk about being people of truth, not just people of tribalism. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Did you know that whatever you're experiencing today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, God has something to say to you about all of it. We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of Second Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in Second Timothy that God's Word says of itself, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you, and that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing the suffering, the challenges, the questions. God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. Continuing our conversation with Daniel Bennett, um, we're just ranging around um, together in a conversation about truth and about the reality of the context that we find ourselves in today as Christians, people of truth, capital T, living in a world um, where lots of people believe they are entitled to their own truth or their own interpretation of the truth. Um, And so, uh, Daniel, maybe we could have a conversation about what, what we do as people who are committed to the truth when the group of which we are a part um, becomes committed to a variation of um, of the facts that we actually know is not true. Do, I know I'm going to try. I'm trying to say this is as I'm trying to say it delicately without leading everyone to you know like one one example in their minds. So um, let's say my tribe is evangelical Christianity, and within evangelical Christianity, um, some people have uh, come to assert that something is true that I actually know is not true. Like, it's a lie. It's clearly fabricated. It's clearly not true. It, they're, they're, they're believing a lie. And I know it. I see it. But I'm so afraid of being rejected by the group, of being isolated. This is my group. So I either ignore it and I'm silent, um, and therefore they all think I agree with them because I'm not saying, you guys are a bunch of liars. Like, this is not true. Um, or I risk getting thrown out of the group because to deny this particular um, belief, which is clearly not true, um, for them has become like, you know, well, it's it's non-negotiable. This is who we are. Do you see what I'm do you see what I'm pointing out here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think of a couple of different examples of this. Um, whether it's and and I think I think you're you're right not to identify specific examples or at least wise to do so. Um, but, but I'll do it. Uh, 
So uh, you have uh, a couple of examples from recent American politics on both the left and the right. And uh, people in our tribes or those tribes essentially rejecting people who spoke out against a prevailing consensus. So on the left, uh, you know, I think you have, a, you know, Christians uh, like Justin Gibney with the AND campaign, who I believe holds a right view of human life and is opposed to the Democratic Party's leftward drift on abortion uh, and saying we need to make room for for Democrats in our spaces who are unapologetically pro-life and, and Christian uh, informed in these ways. And he has, you know, essentially been rejected from the party. This is someone who was uh, a delegate at the at a part at the party's convention 10 years ago. And now he is essentially uh, blacklisted from a lot of the party's main events because of his views on the pro-life or on the abortion uh, on the abortion issue. On the flip side to that, you have someone like Russell Moore, uh, formerly of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, who uh, you know took a a particular stance on uh, on Donald Trump as a candidate for president, um, because you know he was essentially saying this isn't who Christians need to get behind or hitch our wagon to, and he was essentially booted out. You know he he left voluntarily the SBC, but if you bring up a name like Russell Moore or David French in certain circles. Uh, it's not that they're treated as a Christian with whom one might disagree, but almost like a form of heresy saying, well, these folks are just trying to lead evangelical Christians astray from the necessity of winning in our political spaces. Um, why am I bringing these up? Like you said, there is a risk of alienating people in our midst when we, when we speak the truth and we're compelled to speak the truth. But I think these examples for, you know, Justin Gibney and Russell Moore are really good ones of saying why it's important that we speak truth, not necessarily to convince people, but because we believe and we're confident in the truth as we understand it. Um, and so I think that's a challenge for all of us. It's not easy to do that. But I think these guys show that it can be done. And, and hopefully we can agree that truth is more, more important than temporal tribalism. So in my own lived experience, Daniel, um, I found myself in a particular, like a, the large tribe of, of Presbyterianism, which mm. you and I both know, um, there are yeah. Presbyterians who we would describe as uh, on a far on the right, and there are Presbyterians who we would describe as far on the left. And I found myself yeah. rejected by both because one group... Yeah. Um, described me as, you know, like a raging liberal. And the other group described me as a fundamentalist. And of course, to them, I said, like, it's you you clearly don't even see the other end of the spectrum if you think I'm way over right. there. Like if, if you, yes. you you are living in such a narrow part of your own uh, of your own view of things, like I can't I cannot be what you are describing me as like it doesn't even definitionally make sense. But that. It, yeah. Uh, so, and I can't be a raging liberal and be pro-life and committed to the things that I'm committed to. Like, you can't be right either. Like, so we do find ourselves rejected by tribes who assert things about us that are not true. And we find ourselves, I mean, th these are great examples of both Justin Gibbity and Russell Moore, like unwilling exiles who, you know, they continue yeah. to have um, very broad platforms uh, in the Christian conversation of the day, but they are no longer um, directly influencing 
in an internal way those groups of which they were once a part. Same is true of me. I am no longer of influence in the group of which I was once a part. I do believe that God has given me um, broader and wider opportunity and influence. And so it's, it's not that I you know, feel silenced or rejected or anything like that. And I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm just, I'm just sharing that like this, this reality of being forced out or treated as a heretic is actually more common than I think we have been talking about all the people, every person listening right now who feels like their church left them feels like their denomination left them. You, you're a part of the group we're talking about now because your commitment to the truth, um, you know, was over, uh, you know, over your commitment to the tribe. Yeah. No, I think we see this. Uh, I, I think we can see this on a range of issues and it just shows how uh, compartmentalized politics have become. So if you're Christian uh, and, and you hold, you know, a particular view of say race or racial justice in the United States to acknowledge that they're have been instances of systemic racism in the United States in the past, and the remnants of these things linger today, while not necessarily being applied in the same way as they were during the Jim Crow South, uh, then you you know, might be treated as a social justice warrior in conservative circles and saying that, well, you're trying to exacerbate division and inflame division to try to break away, speaking of division and unity, the unity of the church. But at the same time, the same person can hold then views on sexuality and gender to say God created, you know, men and women separately for different purposes. And then all of a sudden you're kicked out of the of the progressive and of the progressive tribes within Christianity to say, well, who are you to judge uh, how God makes a person? Um, And so it can be a lonely place. And again, goodness, I don't have a corner on this. Right. Because I think it's easy to be the hero in your own story and to ignore blind spots. Um, but it's just a reminder that, you know, any, anyone can fall into this when we try to be consistent to a biblical ethic and not essentially pick and choose our positions based on more comfortable political or cultural tribes. It's easy to find community these days, especially on social media, that's not particularly challenging. What's more difficult is essentially being consistent on issues across the spectrum and being willing to essentially be exiled or or otherwise uh, kicked out or kicked away from the popular table, uh, whether it's on the left or the right or denominationally, whatever it might be. So uh, we do have examples of this, um, but I I think as Christians, uh, we gotta be comfortable. We have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable that is the expansive truth uh, of who God is and, and how he created us as people. I'm just taking a deep breath, and I'm, uh, I'm just inviting everybody to the table. And thank you for, um, yeah, bring in your own chair if necessary. Um, this will be, <laughs> be a come to the table conversation. You just might have to bring your own chair. Um, exactly. Daniel, as always, what a joy. Thank you so much. Um, it is a big kingdom. He is a big king. Um, and, and yet there's only one way in and his name is Jesus. So let's, uh, let's be sure we're bowing the knee, uh, to the one who is the truth today and keep the fact that truth is a person at the center of the conversation. Daniel, as always, uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. Hey, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
All right, uh, we got another hour up next together, so stay tuned. Yeah, we're going to talk about this day in light of that day. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.